0: Welcome to 5th Wall's Fly on the Wall podcast, where we explore the shifts occurring in real estate, technology, and society that are driving our cities towards a more equitable, green, and tech-enabled future. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode of Fly on the Wall, I'm joined by Max Simkoff the CEO of fifth wall portfolio company, Doma. We discuss the issues home buyers face when closing on a home and how Doma's simplification of title and escrow processes increases satisfaction for lenders, agents, and home buyers across the country. Enjoy the conversation. Max,
1: where are you coming in from today? Yeah, I'm in San Francisco. And I think uh, if, if people could see beyond the, the uh, fake background, They'd, they'd see that you're in your, uh, your childhood home, right? It's not where am, you're... I am yeah, normally but in
0: Utah, but I'm actually back in Connecticut right now. So Max, you started, you know, state Title, and, and, you know, I was there at the very early stage. There was this kind of big vision at the outset, which was very specific around disrupting the title insurance industry. And you had this kind of novel way of, you know, conceptualizing this kind of insurance product that's not really an insurance product. And I was startled at how big the industry was. And that's where it started. But obviously, you've evolved in this just fascinating way, where that entry point, that kind of Trojan horse entry point, gave you this aperture to change and render more frictionless the whole home buying process. Yeah, it just walk me through, like, what was how does that evolution happen
1: for a business in the course of four years? Yeah, look, I think it happened in the way that a lot of companies, growth companies, growth technology companies, they you know they start on one kind of narrow problem. And when they solve it really well and transform it, it naturally allows them to see that, you know, it's just one piece of an integrated set of things that are all related to the same general pain. In our case, that pain was um, what I call homeownership experiences. Um, You know, the problem we were solving initially, as you mentioned was around title insurance. It's, it's like horrendously expensive, ridiculously complicated, uh, opaque, end-to-end process that most people don't understand when they're buying or refinancing a home and you're you're paying for an insurance product that's effectively the title company doing backwards looking research to validate that there's no outstanding ownership interest in the home. And when we looked at that, like very narrow slice of this broader set of things that are involved with buying or refinancing a home, moving into a home, getting that home set up, making sure that the assets in that home are protected. it, It, in the end, you know, when we fixed it using machine learning, we realized that we were fixing one piece of a lot of other things that look very much the same, right? Old school legacy process, laden by regulated infrastructure, and just like a, a lot of like inertia and goo, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like built I mean, up the whole over
0: whole home buying process, right? Soup to nuts, it's like it's the largest capital market in the United States, right? But actually, at yeah. like, the microcosmic level, it's probably like the highest friction transaction you'll, you'll ever engage with. It's just you know, from these kind of arcane products, like, like, like title insurance, but the whole process is painful. And,
1: and, 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 and look, un- unnecessarily so. I mean, the case of title insurance, what we initially did is we looked at this process of, you know, there's a backwards looking research and they put together this thing called a title report and it lists all the issues or the potential issues that they found that need to be cleared through something called the curative process, which is basically a series of phone calls and emails to discover whether the things that you found mechanics lean, a easement, and HOA lien? Are they actually a lien? Are they valid? Were they properly recorded? Can they get cleared? We looked at all that stuff and we're like, but it's called insurance, right? So if it's called insurance, why are you like fixing all the problems? Then there's no risk. And we, and we asked a very simple question, which was why not just make it real insurance? Why not use predictive analytics at the point of order to instantaneously ensure that risk and in so doing, remove the entire process, right? It's not like automating steps; it's just pulling that whole title, insurance, underwriting piece out of the process and making it an instant. And when we did that, it it we realized that all these other homeownership experiences were unnecessarily complex. You're always you're being asked for the same information like ten times when you're going through a refinance, right? Are you married? Yes. What's your spouse's name? You tell them. Is your spouse on the deed? Yes, of course they're on the deed. I just told you I'm married. I told you who my spouse is, right? Like, why are you asking me that question? There's no conditional branching logic. So look, the, the broader vision then became, it started with, you know, instantly underwriting title insurance. Then it went to instantly um, resolving all the uh, complex manual processes and what's called escrow or settlement, right? Because title companies do that too. The fee calculations, the disbursements, the payoffs, the signature events, Right. Hundreds of pages of structured and unstructured information—it's again, it's like a data scientist's dream to deal with—and we just systematically worked through all that stuff. And once we got to, you know, a near instant digital mortgage closing, we started looking at the other adjacent areas: appraisal, just heavily manual labor, tedious, super inefficient. Home warranty—you uh, know was, uh, kind of serendipitously I discovered that opportunity because as I was running Doma. I got a new home warranty, and I, would, I had to make a claim, a couple claims. It was a horrible experience. It's just like, go to a website, create a username and password, you know, fill out your account details, make a claim. My refrigerator broke. Wait three days for an appliance repair technician to reach out. The obvious thing to do is deliver a transformationally better experience for the customer, right? make them a customer for life. Home warranty has abysmal retention rates, by the way, because people hate the product. They make a claim like I did. It took them a week to get someone to show up to tell them that there was a part that needed to be replaced in a refrigerator and took three weeks to get it fixed, right? Nobody wants that experience, which is why nobody, nobody renews their home warranty. And instead, nobody looked at that problem and said, look, you've got a captive customer. You have access to all this critical information about their appliances, about the layout of their home. Why not have preventative maintenance? Why not draft off of the the increasing amount of internet-connected devices that they have to tell you the status of when things need to be repaired, why not ask people to pay more money, more, for something that provides more value? They might just renew at a higher rate. They might just have higher NPS scores, but they don't do that. They're mostly focused on, we've got incumbent advantage, we got captive customers, and we're just going to you know, it'll be low cost of customer acquisition, get them in, and we don't care that it's you know low retention on the back end because we can just keep acquiring new customers and you know keep everybody else locked out basically. And so, so title obviously the
0: the core frontal insight around title, the title could be actually under underwritten, and you can apply data science in kind of ways that, that resemble most other insurance, but truly tech enable it. That provides an entree to Esperon closing, right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of footprint and almost this co to then capture the customer at this kind of Byzantine process of closing a home. Home warranty, clear adjacency, sounds like that. That's already embedded in the industry but has all the same kind of incumbency, high friction dynamics to the existing
1: product set. Where else do you go from there? Where does it expand from there? Appraisal, uh, again, $8 billion market. It's basically the same order information that we get for title and escrow today. Exact same from lender. It's like, you know, borrower name, property address, loan amount, um, and in, oftentimes we get like a target LTV. Uh, so it's the same information we get for title and appraisal for, for title and escrow. And yet they're sending it to two separate places. And the appraisal process is a network of licensed appraisers going out to people's homes, taking photos of the interior next year, writing up a report. And this in a world where Matterport can do 3d mapping of the home, right? Okay. You have a supercomputer in your pocket. It's, geolocation enabled. If it's an, if it's a new iPhone, it has LIDAR built in. Like you can map the interior of a room, including all the depth and, you know, the quality of materials It's all it's, it's, it's available to anybody. Right. And, and what's missing we think is, and it's, it was our, you know, our kind of our insight in title, what made what we did so transformational is we said, we're not going to sell software to automate a process. We're going to build our own software. And then we're going to take the risk. We're going to provide the best value possible, which is, you know, people don't want an automated appraisal process. They want an instant valuation. To answer your original question, like, where does this go with this integrated set of, you know, of instant digital homeownership experiences? I see a world, and it's not that far off. It's probably five years away, where you can sign a purchase contract to buy a home on a Friday afternoon. Just right now, it's, you know, 5 p.m. Pacific time, right? 4.59. You could sign that purchase contract on a Friday afternoon and you could move in on Monday. And when I say move in, by the way, I don't just mean that, you know, instantaneously when you clicked purchase, you had your valuation collateral guaranteed, you had your title and escrow guaranteed, everything, you know, reconciled, the fees automatically correct or whatever, your mortgage stuff done. I mean that like on top of that, we could know what appliances you have in your home. We could identify which ones are out of life cycle, have them replaced before Monday right? People in the home over the weekend, new appliances installed with new warranties behind them, all packaged into a consolidated warranty product that has predictive insight into when those things are likely to break again, or when they need to be preventatively or repaired. We could get your cable set up. We could get your garbage and your utilities, your water, your internet, everything live. You move into your house on Monday morning and it just works. It's like, it's like buying a new car.
0: And, and that's the vision, obviously, right? Like, a, like the one click closed, right? The, the yeah. kind of but it, it almost feels like what what you, you've done is with these component parts that was so balkanized, right? Historically. And it, it seems like kind of the, you know, the closing and escrow process was the reconciliation event, where they all come together. Your, your point is, in the end, the consumer, they're just trying to buy a home and get a mortgage. And, yeah. and close yeah. so anything you can do to render that more frictionless is better. And, you know, when you think about building that, obviously you're in a really unique position in the sense that you know, you have a a kind of established business embedded in in yours, right? Which means high margins. And at the same time, you have technology-driven growth, right? You have this kind of dichotomy that most businesses don't, right? Certainly in in the category. How do you plan on taking advantage of that, right? Because obviously you have incumbents, but you have tech upstarts. How does that give you a real long-term sustainable defensive mode to your business?
1: Yeah, so look, I mean, we're very fortunate in that, we decided to be a full stack insure tech platform from day one, long before it was popular. Um, my friend and you know, fellow fifth wall portfolio company, uh, Asaf Wand, who runs Hippo, like I remember we had these discussions way back when. Um, uh, and, you know, I was telling him, I was like, I just think it's important to own the risk and build the tech and operate it. And what that means for us is as we built scale, we got licensed, we acquired a carrier from Lenar and this, you know, transformational acquisition that we did. We ended up with a business, as you mentioned, like, you know, last year, I think our adjusted gross profit margin as a percentage of our retained premium fees, which is effectively our gross margin on what we consider to be our net revenue. It was like, I think in the neighborhood of, you know, 48 ish percent Q1, when we announced our, our results um, publicly this year. Uh, it came in at i think 51%. We did just under 410 million dollars of gap revenue last year, just under 200 million dollars of retained premium fees. And so to answer your question what the advantage that we have is we have all of the distribution licensure and scale that is needed to be a national platform with a real competitive moat. Like when we're selling to mortgage originators now we have the ability to deliver value in pretty much every state they operate. And that's important to them. They, they don't want to work with a small upstart company that has two or three licenses, and it takes years to get them, and it takes a lot of capital raise to get them. We've done, done all that. We have large, We have national distribution. We have the infrastructure, the regulatory licensure. But most importantly, we have real gross margins, and we're growing fast. And so we have the best kind of capital-efficient optionality that any company in our position would have, which is... We have the ability to reinvest the variable profit of the business into our own growth. And now, as we go through completing a SPAC, we will have the benefit of additional capital to invest on a, a time horizon that you know most public companies, quite frankly, would kill to have. Right? It's We're, we're investing for the long term. We're driving towards this vision I mentioned of integrated instant digital home ownership experiences. And we're fortunate in that we're extremely capital efficient. And, you know, we have a going concern set of businesses internally that we can, you know, we can make our growth decisions based on how much we're investing internally versus what we're using from external financing.
0: Having that optionality, I think not only gives you um, kind of cash management optionality as to where to actually invest or or, or deploy the capital, but it also lets you really focus on, you know, customer experience in in ways around horizontal expansion, because, you know a lot of those are long-term investments so you have to maintain that, that that broad vision and you have to have the capital and the flexibility and the optionality with that capital to realize that's right and i think what's unique about the position you sat in for, for, for a while is just having that margin having those kind of competitive modes that are very resembling of what
1: the, of the incumbents have well yeah there's one key so there's the, and the one key difference again about our businesses the reason, so in a lot of other, again, growth tech businesses, you mentioned other industries, very, what's most common is they have to spend a pretty healthy amount of their revenue on an annual basis to drive aggressive growth. Um, and you, know, you can see enterprise SaaS businesses where the reason they do that is because the average lifetime value of a customer is high. And so on the front end of that business growing really, really fast for three, four, five years, they're basically constantly spending 50 to 100% of revenue to drive 50 to 100% top line growth annually. Now, what they're also building is a backlog of recurring revenue contracts that, you know, that that end up being a a more creative kind of long-term cash flow stream for them. In our business, what's interesting is all of the cost structure traditionally has not been in customer acquisition. In other words, the incumbents couldn't grow fast because all of their cost structure is in the back office. They're limited in how they can acquire customers because they're operating this legacy, old school process that's driven by a lack of technology, right? They, they invest very little on R&D. And so it's like this vicious cycle where because they have all of their cost structure in the back office, they can't invest in growth. What's different they're about living, us? They're living hand to mouth on customer acquisition effectively, whereas for you, it's you can toggle it. If you can expand your gross margin, you just free up more and more to focus on the customer. It's Basically, what you say, like what you said, like you can you can focus on what makes a better experience for them. You can sell a differentiated solution for them, and you can grow fast without spending the kind of you know the the, the sheer amounts of your net revenue on an annual basis that you'd have to spend if you were an enterprise SaaS business. Right, you throttle your
0: growth and redeploy that into you know, just CapEx and, and investment in R&D that like lets you realize this goal. And I think that's exactly because it's always been so striking to us. And one of the things that's also, you know, I think so unique about State Title is from the very beginning, you obviously come from, you know, in your prior experience, and I was in the same space, like, uh, you know, an industry that, that where we were trying to apply you know, back then, I think it was called data analytics. Now it's called big data, data. big data. data, right? <laughs> data to do right. things in industries that don't do anything with data. Certainly, that's interesting. So you come from that experience, you see title. Obviously, title is not doing that, but you know, the kernel insight was so driven by a commitment to leveraging all of this data. Now the aperture's gotten wider, the fairway's gotten wider where you can apply that data to. How are you continuing to build and invest in? Data science as, as, a, as a driver of your growth?
1: Yeah, it's look, it's a great question. And, and this is something that I am proud that we really from day one have made a conscious decision to invest, to always be investing ahead of where we needed to be, right? We hired a chief data science officer at DOMA, then, which was then state's title, when we were probably. I don't know, 20 people or something. We, and we, ha- you know, of the 20 people we had, there were four or five of the folks that we had were data scientists. We hired Andy Madavi, um, who is just a- an amazing individual. He, he at the time was building and deploying very large machine learning driven transactional credit card fraud models at Capital One. I mean, these are the kinds of things that like have to determine in a fraction of a second whether you're swiping a, a legitimate transaction or not. Prior to Capital One, he was a tenured professor of astrophysics. One of the things I've learned from Andy is like some of the best data science minds come from a physics background, right? Working with complex, uh, you know, function-driven problems that are you know rules-based in a non-linear way. It's like the, that's like the mind of a physicist. I remember this discussion with Andy at the time was we said this is going to be a foundational element of what drives value for the company. Like this isn't a check the box thing. This isn't, a, it's like, we've got to have analytics. We were like, the 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 core of the business needs to be driven by the application of ML, right? And so what, what Andy then did is he built just a world-class team. I sit through these reviews with our, with our data science team now, where it's like, okay, what is the thing that we have made better from a data science, uh, applied data science perspective? And what did it do for the business? And it's almost always like, Oh, we did this one thing and it removed this giant chunk of time, right? Oh, we did this one thing and it increased the accuracy of something. And every one of those things has an impact on the customer. The mortgage closed faster. The loan officer, or the lender, got the docs quicker. There were less errors. The NPS score was higher. It was a more enjoyable experience. It's like a one-to-one correlation with impact on the customer when we're applying these, you know, kind of modern-day um, data science methods. So, um, long winded way of saying we have we have decided that this will be one of the fundamental, you know, areas of core importance and investment for us as a business that will be part of our mode.
0: Yeah, it seems it, it seems so core, right? Because it's, it's, it's at the center of the closing process, it's all of this unstructured data. And, you know, in your case, I think it only serves that that unique distinguishing financial character of being high margin, right? Because exactly yeah. as you said, the margin in your space is, is a function of actually having made those investments in data science, exactly. in yep. operations, you know much earlier on in your business and now that's affording you the optionality to just reinvest there. and it's a just an interesting dynamic when you when you look at you know industry that's as large as title like how large is the, the title industry in aggregate
1: 23 23 billion dollars a year in US residential only Title and escrow revenue. It's shockingly large. And then when you start to look at
0: the, 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 the TAMs of spaces like appraisal and- Appraisal, $8
1: billion. Uh, warranty's three, but I would argue that warranty should be two or three X. It's only three because it's such a crappy product. But the gets, Yeah, the attach rate's low and, and a minority of homeowners participate in it, right? Yeah, I mean, across those three, you're talking about, uh, you know, upwards of 35 to $40 billion existing market. Um, certainly as you expect, mortgage servicing, I think is like a 20 plus billion dollar market. That's another area that sits on the other end of, you know, once the mortgage is closed, how do you interact with customers to help facilitate payments and service mortgage portfolios from mortgage originators, huge, you know, potential for data science. The, 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 the ingredients that enable you to transform the infrastructure are the things like distribution, like licensure, like the, I mean, capitalization, it sounds silly, but like to be a title insurance carrier... Licensed inside of 40 states, I think we need to carry upwards of 40 plus million dollars of minimum capital and surplus. That's a hard thing, you know, for a startup to just go out and raise and park on their balance sheet. Yeah. And and it's it's
0: one of the fascinating things, I think, about the whole category is that does have these these clear barriers to entry. Like putting 40 million dollars to sleep is pretty expensive for (laughs) for a lot of fast-growing businesses. But you know, you've done it, and at the same time. Maintain a margin that that is very tech-like, right? It's yeah. almost software-like in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's 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 what's so fascinating about these industries that are so large, so kind of imminently and obviously disruptible, but have these high barriers to entry. That you need to have this this kind of unique uh, access point to get in. And I think in your story, starting with with title, obviously bolting on kind of an analog business, but then. Leveraging that the home buyer to deliver a consistently more frictionless experience across yeah. all these products they're going to consume. So
1: Yeah. At, by the way, I, I mean in our enter- in the enterprise side of our business, where you know we're selling at scale of the largest mortgage originators, we do it at a lower price. That's the other thing. Like when you, it's amazing what can happen. Like if you can increase your margin, you can deliver a better experience to the end customer, and you can share some of your margin gains in the form of lower cost to the you know to the consumer. It's just like it's. I, yeah, it seems kind of foreign in some of these antiquated, kind of you know, incumbent legacy real estate spaces, but it's, that's been a, a key part of our, of our value proposition. Well, we've loved
0: obviously being along, the, along for the ride and, and supporting you. And it's been just so interesting to see the, the expansion, not only the business, but the business opportunity that's almost expanded in tandem as you've grown and succeeded. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fly on the Wall. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.